0: So it doesn't happen if you stay in your rational brain because the rational brain acts as a a stop sign, a period, because the rational brain says this is this and therefore it is not that. And so it leaves you in a position of always having a full teacup so that you are never in the position of leaving an open space for something to enter into, which is not of you.
1: I'm Michael Max, and this is Geological. Medicine in our Western world is involved with a lot of capital D doing. We're here to change something, to intervene and fix a problem. We're paid and we're expected to bring expertise to solving a difficulty. It's all about action. But at the same time, if you spent any amount of time in clinic, There's a receptive aspect of being that's also required. We need to be still enough to find out why a patient is really here. We need to be able to navigate between what we know and what we don't know, and to be able to stay present in those moments of not knowing. That receptive stillness, it's what informs our doing. Practicing acupuncture requires both the stillness of receptive listening into what takes form in our mind as a diagnosis, and then having the decisive action of using needles. And while we rely on both, some of us will naturally gravitate toward one side or the other of this yin-yang aspect of practice. Some of us are more being-oriented and will spend more time with the patients and our own internal process. Others of us leap quickly into action with mental models or treatment protocols based on the knowledge and the expertise gleaned from our teachers or our own experience. Some of us like to lean on our strengths and so practice in a certain way while others of us are looking to develop areas in which we're weak. And so we study and we practice so as to inhabit aspects of ourselves that we'd like to develop. The beauty of practicing Chinese medicine, is that it's practiced best when we practice it as who we are. And therein lies the rub as it takes time, a lot of time to grow into the people and the practitioners that we are. One of the delightful things about the podcast is that I get to hear from a lot of folks that I'd otherwise never have contact with. One of the questions I've heard voiced is, what to do about the problem of people getting out of school and not having confidence in themselves? I find this to be a curious question. Because when we first get out of school, we're not supposed to have confidence. In fact, I'd be worried about a newly minted graduate who had a large measure of confidence, because when we start a practice, we shouldn't feel confident. We should, however, be competent. No question about that. We should know how to safely treat people, and we should have a firm grasp of the principles and the theories of our medicine. But confidence? That comes with experience. And if you don't have experience, well, then how is it possible to have grown into a deserved sense of confidence? I don't see lack of confidence as a problem. I see it as the irritant in an oyster that over time becomes a pearl. I see it as the discontent that pushes us to be more attentive. I I see it as a kind of motivation to go deeper with our learning as we run up against our misunderstandings. And I see it as a constant reminder that if something's not working, it might not be that our medicine doesn't treat that issue. It just might be that I don't yet know how to treat that issue. Confidence comes in time. It comes through working out the gaps in our understanding. It comes from letting go of something that we might like, but isn't that helpful for our patients. And it comes through the turning of seasons and the continual honing of perception and discernment that allows us to better understand our patients and how we can be helpful. Not having confidence in the beginning, that's not a problem. That's the reality of anyone who's decided to make a livelihood out of engaging with something that we probably will never fully understand in our lifetime. Confidence comes not from getting it right, but from learning how to get it right. And it does take persistence and takes a lot of it. It's not for the faint of heart. And it's not a feeling that someone else can give you. It has to be grown into from the inside out. It doesn't come from chalking up certificates or credentials. It comes from that slow interactive dance of being and doing in our clinical work. Don't expect it to be easy, but do expect it to be worthwhile. It's not that often that I get to have a conversation with a Westerner who spent decades of time in China studying medicine. I'm delighted today to have Brenda Hood with me for a discussion of qi anatomy, Taoism, and the influences of pre and post heaven. I think you're going to enjoy this juicy conversation. Let's get into it. These geological conversations come to you through the generous support of our sponsors and members. All the sponsors here provide helpful products or services that you'll find beneficial in your clinical work. Need to fill up the appointments created by late cancellations? Jane can help with that problem. Mayway Herbs is celebrating the 55th year of their family business. You're invited to make use of their vast library of resources. Concerned about the health of Mother Earth? AccuFast Needles is doing something about that. You can too. And later in the show, listen for a special offer from Andrew Sturman on Diet as Medicine and the folks at Blue Poppy share some thoughts on the safety of herbal medicine. Do be sure to visit the sponsors page on the Geological website to take advantage of all the special offers our terrific sponsors have for listeners of the podcast.
2: Hi, folks. I'm Yvonne Lau, president of Mayway Herbs. Our family business turns 55 this year, and we wouldn't have gotten this far without the love and support of our community. We're truly grateful and promise you that we'll continue to work hard to support you and your practice. Please visit mayway.com to find the perfect plum flower brand formula, Or formulate your own in our dispensary. Our site also has lots of articles, videos, and herbal recipes for you to explore whenever you need a break. And tune into our podcast, Chinese Medicine Matters, for insightful discussions on all things TCM. Learn about treatment strategies and powerful herbal remedies, and enjoy bits of Chinese culture. This month, we're focusing on the treatment of various skin concerns like itchy skin and stubborn acne. And if you're a practitioner, get a discount on our skin health formulas this month too. Just visit Meiwei.com. This season and every season, trust my way for your health and wellness needs. And as always, thanks for supporting Real Chinese Medicine.
1: Change is never easy. This is evidenced by the fact that the scales weighing the number of people on the green side of change, versus the number of people on the old, hard-on-the-planet ways of doing things, are still way out of balance. Our planet is suffering, but our profession has an easier way to shift the scales, The founders of AccuFast Earth-Friendly Needles started with a great needle and then created our industry's first eco-friendly packaging and reusable accessories. They also give back to nature by planting trees. I encourage you to challenge yourself to make the change. Ride the wave of spring yang chi and make the switch by joining me and the multitude of colleagues who made the change. Now you can celebrate Earth Month in April with pride knowing that you're helping us to tip the scales of planetary health towards a greener, healthier, and healing planet. Visit www.acufastneedles.com to get on board. You've probably already heard me here on the podcast share about Jane, my favorite all-in-one practice management software that helps you to run your practice online and manage no-shows. The team at Jane understands that life happens and sometimes that means your patients are unable to make their scheduled appointment. If that's the case, a quick and easy way to fill those unexpected gaps in your day is by utilizing Jane's time-saving waitlist management features. You can take advantage of automated SMS text or email notifications to notify eligible waitlisted patients that there's an opening so they can easily scoop up in available time. If you know you're ready to sign up, you can mention the show or use the code GEOLOGICAL for a one-month grace period on your new Jane account. Visit jane.app to get started today. Hey, Geological friends. I've got Brenda Hood with me. Brenda... Gosh, how do I describe Brenda? I'm not sure how to describe Brenda. I'm not even going to try to do it. Other than to say that my friend Sabina Wilms said, you should talk to Brenda. So, Brenda, welcome to Geological.
0: Thank you very much for having me.
1: So happy to have you here. We, um, you just came down from Canada. We're currently, this is one of the few opportunities to actually have a face-to-face conversation. We're in Portland. Um, you just took this OM class, and I was here for this OM class. and um,
0: It was Awesome. I loved it. Really? Oh, absolutely! Because it's just, you know, I've done a lot of basic research into the interactions of channels. I have, I was teaching at UNM, and I have this whole information packet called Channel Interactions. Mm-hmm. and it's all of the channel interactions that I've been able to find, and I list them out, and I say, okay, in this particular channel interaction, uh, these are the organs that are, or not organs, these are the channels that are paired, and in this one, these are the ones that are paired, and yada, mm-hmm. yada, Kinda yada. Kind of like our
1: yin-yang or tie-in, and, you know, hand tie-in, foot tie-in, that kind of thing.
0: Sure, you know, and it's very simple, and the interesting thing about it, you see a lot of it in Dr. Tan, and you see... Mm-hmm. You know, the, this This is found throughout the Chinese medicine system, but mostly in sort of um, courses which are taught outside schools. And so what I've done is basically just consolidated and brought it together. And because the way SAM organizes channel interactions and the way that it brings in yin-yang theory and five element theory and the six confirmations... And I think in the higher levels, you're going to get into stems and branches, which we did not touch in the introductory level. Um, It brings this together in a much more sophisticated and complex way than the channel interactions that I listed in my previous notes. When you use those earlier channel interactions, the point that you have decided based on the channel interaction either works or it doesn't. It's just that simple. But after seeing what was taught in the SAM class, it's really obvious that you are really moving the energy and transforming the qualities of the energy in very, very powerful ways. And so, as they say, you can get amazing results with this, but you can also kind of screw somebody up if you choose the wrong protocol to use and then you need to be able to reverse it because you've moved the energy in the wrong way
1: so when you say the energy tell me more about what what you're referring to here
0: you know it's sloppiness in how i'm speaking really i should be saying the chi okay I, um, I, I, mean,
1: I just like to to try to be clear because for me with this om um, system I feel, and, and by the way, all y'all's listening, we're going to circle around to some other stuff. I didn't even know we're going to talk about this, but we're just we're just going to get into it here. There's other things I want to talk to you about. The thing for me with this is that there's times, because of the education I've had, that I'm thinking in terms of Liu Jing.
2: Mm-hmm. Do you have a
1: decent translation of Liu Jing? Because I haven't, you know, six levels, six confirmations. I don't even... It just seems so confusing. Why don't we just call it the 6 jing like we call it the 5 phases?
0: Well, you know, the 6 channels. Um you can six the channels, six, 6 great channels. Well, the 6 paired channels. Yeah.
1: I don't know. It's just it's it, it's just a bug anyway. Just a bugaboo. For this conversation, can we just say 6 jing? Okay. Because that other stuff just drives me crazy. So sometimes I find myself thinking in terms of six jing. Sometimes I find myself thinking in terms of five phases. But with the Sa'am, I find these get melded together in a way that it it becomes a seamless whole. It, it You know, we have this this idea that there's a subject and an object just because of the way our perception works in the cultures that we've grown up in, right? But it seems like like with this, it's not one or the other. It's kind of both And
0: You know, it's my first introduction to SAM, and if you look at, say, cogs in the wheel of the mechanism of Chinese medicine, these other channel interactions are single cogs, whereas when you look at SAM, what you're seeing is a fully operational mechanism with interlinking cogs that you need to go in and figure out okay which cog is not spinning properly and then we fix that one and then the whole mechanism just resets to a higher healthier level mm-hmm. if we've done it right
1: let me make sure I'm, I'm, I'm following you with this with the kind of acupuncture that we often do we're looking just to change one thing but that one thing won't necessarily touch everything
0: in many cases, no, and it's especially true with the way you, th- with the way I see people thinking in clinic, where somebody comes in with shoulder pain, what do they treat? They treat shoulder pain, pretty much locally at the shoulder, at the very simplest, most basic level, where you're kind of forgetting the chi anatomy and going more for the uh, physical anatomy, or you start using distal points. Or points that you know are influential. So if you got shoulder pain, maybe you might choose stomach 38, because that's a classic point for shoulder pain. Mm -hmm. And it may work, it may not. It's very much based on that whole channeled theory, or you might go into using, um, systematic correspondence, which I call holographic correspondence. Those are the microsystems that we have, like, uh, the image of the body on the ear or Mm -hmm. on the hand, or frankly, anywhere on the body, you know, and some people. That
1: holograph, we can access it in lots of different ways.
0: And from lots of different places. Yeah,
1: it's, it's actually one of the cool things about acupuncture anatomy, or, or I, I guess I could say channel anatomy.
0: Well, it's actually, it's like two different focuses on the body. One focuses on this web of energy that flows in various size rivers and streamlets throughout the body, and then you're affecting areas where it's no longer flowing properly. Whereas microsystems are a higher order of integration, and they don't work on channel theory. They work on like a a common resonance where you look at a map and you see, okay, there's a problem here, and then if I needle that point, then you spark a certain resonance from your actions of needling, which then affects the area that is mirrored by the point that you used.
1: So you're saying that there's a way of using acupuncture that works outside the channel system. Okay, so that's kind of an interesting thing because when I think about acupuncture in the way that we usually talk about acupuncture and certainly the way that most practitioners talk about it to their patients, it's all about channel. So tell me more about this resonance piece. And, and, ha- and, and, and more importantly, if we're not using the channels to effect a change, what are we using?
0: I think that there is such an emphasis on the use of channels in the body because it's like we're thinking that that's the entire anatomy of Chinese medicine, we've got the organs, we've got the channels, and so therefore we need to use the channels because that's the anatomy and that's the way we teach. Mm-hmm. But when you're using the resonance of microsystems, I believe that what you're affecting is the greater whole. Like you're affecting it more from a field perspective, as opposed to the channels, which are the um, one of the aspects of the field. Of the individual in question
1: tell me more about the field perspective
0: well my experience in clinic is that you do have the channels of the body the channels of the body seem to be in quote-unquote embedded in the flesh but I believe them to be um, like a different level so you have the very dense physical flesh and then you have these energetic channels which carry the vitality of the body to all corners of the body but they're very much like a river system or you know the the word jing which we translate as meridians or channels actually doesn't mean river it means a canal which is a which is a man-made structure filled with water Very common in the descriptions of channels, how they're more like, there's a lot of water analogies. Mm -hmm. But what's the purpose of a canal? The purpose of a canal is to move things back and forth. You know, you move things around on the canal. And if you look back into the earliest texts of Chinese medicine, and you look at talk of um, channels and vessels... And here they're specifically talking about blood vessels. There is no strict delineation between the two in classical texts. Whereas later on, when we got the whole idea of the circulatory system, all of a sudden that concept was split.
1: But prior to that, vessel, whether it's an energetic vessel or it's a blood vessel, it, it just vessel is vessel.
0: It was vessel. And it's... Part of my theory as to why they talk about, you know, this vessel, or sorry, this channel has lots of chi and lots of blood. This vessel has, you know, little chi and lots of blood. Mm-hmm, this one mm-hmm. has, you know, that whole system there. But if you look at the channels, like the 14, that well, let's talk about the 12 regular channels. Mm. Every one of the 12 regular channels has an area where there's a palpable pulse. The channel which has the most palpable pulses which is the channel that is said to have lots of qi and blood, is guess what, the yangming stomach mm-hmm. channel. Mm-hmm. And then if you look at, say, the kidney channel, which does not have a lot of blood, okay, there there's a palpable pulse on the kidney channel around the ankle, but it's tricky to find unless you're very sensitive.
1: So why is it that we use the sunko for so much of our pulse diagnosis? That's tie-in that's lung.
0: It is tie and lung, but it is one of those microsystems is a reflection of the whole field of the energy, which is why in the classics they say that when you're taking the pulse, it's not really the feel of the pulse. It's the spirit of the pulse, and you need to use your heart in order to best understand what's going on there. You know, and anybody that's tried to learn the pulse can tell you that it's tricky, like what the heck is this quality and how do I know? You know, I mean, everything is wiry or everything is slippery.
1: I'm 20 years into this. There's days I go to the Pulse and I'm just like, I don't have a clue, or I'll feel something, I'll go, I've not felt this before. I don't know what it is, I just know this is odd.
0: I've felt odd pulses before, and I've felt pulses where literally the pulse on one side of the body is almost the exact opposite as the pulse on the other mm-hmm, side. Mm-hmm. Like one pul- pulse on one side is rapid, and the pulse on the other side is slow. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. often those individuals that have those crazy pulses, they often have very serious psycho-emotional issues. And so there is this sense that, you know, you're, you're getting the heart energy come through there via the lung channel. And so you've got heart and blood in
1: the pulse area. But you've also got a bunch of chi from the lung.
0: Well, that's, but that's what I say. I mean, you have the chi from the lung and you have the, the blood from the heart that, that shows up there. And that combination then gives you an insight into the overall balance.
1: Because they kind of carry different messages, don't they? Of course. Mm-hmm.
0: Of course. And then we know that emotions and the internal condition will affect the pulse. The external condition, your environment, will also affect your pulse. But trying to assess that much information through your rational brain doesn't work. Because it needs to be integrated, and the rational brain is not structured for integration. The rational brain is structured to divide things out so that you can see distinct pieces. Mm-hmm. And so you need to move into into the abstract brain or what I like to refer to as the the a rational brain i dislike the word irrational because in the west it's a pejorative Mm -hmm. and i don't like to use that term and it's not irrational
1: it's non-rational it's
0: non-rational but when you use that side of yourself and everyone has it it's integrative which is where you need to be if you're going to be a good clinician is to be able to integrate the information that you are picking up either consciously or unconsciously. And in clinic, I'm sure you've had this realization, there's a lot of information that you are unconscious of knowing, and yet which plays very heavily in your ultimate diagnosis.
1: There are things that just seem to come up out of nowhere. And I find it happens in two ways for me. One is that there's just a, something gets said. It could be me saying it, it could be the patient saying it. it, doesn't matter who says it. But something gets said, and the feeling in the room changes. And when that happens, I go, Oh, okay. S- there's something here with this. Sometimes I'll get a sense of what it is, but usually it's more like, Oh, the wind changed. Okay. That's worth paying attention to and exploring more.
3: Yeah,
0: but you take a newbie student and you try and tell them, oh, the wind changed, and they're going to look at you. What are you talking about?
1: Well, I mean, yes, of course. Um, At the same time, here we are putting our fingers on pulses and saying, oh, I can discern 27 different qualities or 28 or, I mean, whatever the usual thing is that we teach. Well, we teach that, but
0: I have not yet seen anybody that can really do that
1: sophisticated of pulse diagnosis. For me, I have looked at that, and and maybe because I'm just not that great at the pulse, but I'd look at it as, oh, look, there's different ways of attending to and naming what we're feeling. And, you know, we were just talking a few moments ago. Sometimes you feel something in a pulse and you go, I've not felt that before, or that's... Very different than what I usually, air quotes here, usually feel. There's a couple of pulses that I feel. I've given them my own names. I, I recognize them. It's like, oh, here's the ringing pulse, right? Oh, here's that pulse in a pulse. Mm-hmm. Oh, here's that, oh, it's here and then completely gone and here and, Have you, know, you ever like- felt a split pulse? Split pulse.
0: Yeah, it's where the pulse on, like, on the radial pulse, it seems to split into two parallel lines
1: i watch for it. Yeah. But, but for me, the thing is, it's not that we name it. It's that we have the ability to note, oh, this is notable. I don't always know what notable means. In fact, usually notable to me means I don't know what this is, but it's standing out just enough that it's probably worth paying attention to.
2: Yeah.
0: I have, I do a really simple pulse diagnosis. I don't, I mean, I learned all of the 27 different pulses and I can quote to you what they're supposed to feel like uh, and yada, yada, yada. Yeah. But I find that I take the pulse sometimes at the beginning, but what I do first is I compare the pulse left and right. Mm-hmm. And I call the right pulse the chi pulse mm-hmm. and the left pulse the blood pulse.
1: That's a pretty common distinction we have. Well, and so the first
0: first thing that I'm going to do is I'm going to decide, are the pulses even? And if they are not even, then I need to go and I need to balance the pulses. So Mm -hmm. I need to make sure, and there's four considerations. If it is the right pulse and it seems weak, is it because it's actually weak or because the left pulse is too strong?
1: Th- this for me is such a beautiful thing about Chinese medicine. Sure, simple and like infuriating at the same time. Is something weak or is it actually okay? But the other thing is too much. It's and, and the perspective that that can give us. Yeah. And they're completely is so different protocols when you are treating,
0: like even just as simple as balancing the left and right pulses. Mm-hmm.
1: So how do you make that determination for yourself if something's actually excess or actually deficient?
0: Well, you know, it becomes this combination diagnosis because it's not just the pulse. Mm. You know, you take a look at the person, you look at the, at the facial colors, you look at the spirit of the person, you take into consideration maybe their symptoms, which sometimes is useful and sometimes not. And then I do a lot of channel palpation. And one of the things that I like to do is before I actually put a needle in, I'm going to do acupressure on that point and test the pulse to see if there's a pulse change. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. if there's no pulse change, then I have to switch gears and figure out, well, how do I get a pulse change that brings this back to better balance and something that I feel happy about.
1: So you're playing with resonance and field here. Yeah. yeah.
0: I do that all the time. And yeah. it's partly because I'm not just doing straight-up acupuncture. I also uh, do a lot of singing bowls, tuning forks, gemstones. And so I work in the field a lot. Mm -hmm. And then I, so it's a complicated system in my clinic.
3: Hello, everyone. Andrew Sturman here. I've been working with clients in Chinese medicine dietary therapy for over two decades in New York City. My focus is beautiful, simple, delicious, and health-supportive home cooking. Good meals can be inspired by the strategies of classic herbal formulas so that each meal is infused with medical intention, from appetizer to dessert. This requires an understanding of the energetic properties of grains, vegetables, meats, fruits, and more, and knowing which foods are moistening, drying, building, clearing, warming or cooling, as well as their directionality. I've organized these teachings in my two-volume book series, Welcoming Food, where you can learn this theory, practice it in your own kitchen, and love doing so. See the positive reviews and incredible testimonials from practitioners and patients who've brought this material into their own kitchens. Welcoming Food Books 1 and 2 can easily be found online, and if you'd like to follow me on Instagram, where I'll be posting cooking tutorials, you can find me at Welcoming Food. Back to you, Michael. Thanks very much.
1: I I want to come back to field for just a moment and and, and just run this idea by you because we talk about the jing and the law and of course one of the other ways of talking about the jing is it's like the, I always forget, is it the warp or the woof of a piece of fabric?
0: The jing I believe is the warp.
1: Yeah, okay. So often when I think about that classical idea that... The Jing is part of like a fabric, a mm-hmm. structure that's a fabric, not just you know not, not not like a line or not, not like a bone, but a fabric of something and 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 that idea of fabric and field to me seem they seem similar in that it's all these interwoven connections that make the thing up. The thing, if you look at the thing, If you look at a field, you look at a piece of fabric, you could look at it as an integrated whole, or you could look at it as each of the individual threads. Sure.
0: Yeah. No, absolutely.
1: Mm. All right. Well, back back to pulses here.
0: Back to pulses. Well, and so, you know, and then during the course of the treatment, I'm constantly checking the pulses to see once I've got kind of a a handle on a balanced pulse, if Mm. I can get it. Mm -hmm.
1: What do you do if you can't get it?
0: Then I start looking for other points. Mm -hmm. So, for example, um, one of my go-to points in order to bring up a left-sided pulse, I'm going to try holding uh, spleen six. Mm -hmm. Blood is expansive. Say that again? Blood is expansive.
1: Blood is expensive.
0: Mm -mm, Expansive.
1: Expansive. Yeah, it it it. moves out. moves out. Blood moves out, okay.
0: Whereas um, qi hold things within a contained space. Huh. Interesting. It's it's taken me a very long time to wrap my head around it, but clinically it plays out. Okay. How did you come to that? Um, When I was in China, I took a couple of courses with um, uh, acupuncturists without borders, taught by a man from, I believe, Switzerland, Jacques Piello, and this was in his stuff. And I have continued to try using it clinically, and it really
1: works. So blood is expansive. It grows outward. Well, blood is yin, and
0: so yin grows. Okay. And then when you talk about qi... It contains, it holds.
1: This is so interesting, because I, I think of blood as more of holding, and she, because it's lighter, being more expansive and going and outward. And that's
0: the common way of thinking about it.
1: Yeah, that's my, yeah, exactly. So, flipping that around.
0: Yeah, but we use it all the time. I mean, what do we do when somebody's organs are prolapsed? What do we say? It's that she is not holding.
1: Right, you want to you, you bring that... You want to bring it up, it but, up. It's,
0: but it's, it's literally not holding.
1: Mm-hmm. And you
0: don't treat the blood, you no. treat the chi.
1: That's right. In fact, if you treated the blood, you'd probably drag it down even more, wouldn't you? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. You know, so
0: right. with respect to the pulse, spleen 6 is my first go-to point. Mm. If I can't get a change in the pulse from spleen 6, mm. I will check spleen 10. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I get good changes from spleen 10. So those are my two most common points to expand a weak left pulse. Well, if I can't get that, then I might think, well, what are some other blood points on the body?
1: Because you're you're really looking to build up that blood.
0: I'm really looking to find a way to... Get that blood to go back to being expansive and mm-hmm. filling out the body. Mm-hmm. And so I might go over to, I believe it's stomach 20, stomach 37 is also a blood point.
1: Is it? You know, this, is, this is interesting to me. I tend to use stomach 37 way more than stomach 36. Yeah. It just shows up for so many things. And especially if I'm like palpating, especially like epigastric issues, I will often palpate the abdomen. Uh, they're kind of uncomfortable there I, I go and I touch stomach 36 doesn't change it stomach 37 gone
0: yeah well you know for me I know the standard locations of the points I think everybody should know the standard locations of the points no, it's because kind of our
1: bread and butter right? well you we should
0: you need to pass your boards you, you need... know you need to pass your boards mm-hmm. but in clinic it's not as common for me to use standard locations of the points because I find where the channel is blocked with my with my hands. I do lots of channel palpation. And when I'm working in clinic, it's pretty much always my choice to use the area where I feel there's a blockage. Mm-hmm. And that gets much better results for me than if I was to use a standard point location.
1: I've heard it explained this way if you go to, to a phlebotomist to have your blood drawn for something, you know, some Western medicine blood test, they don't like look in a book and go, oh, the vein's supposed to be here, and then they stick the needle where the book says. They go looking for where your vein is and what kind of vein do you have? Is it big, is it small, is it a little deviated? Where, you know, what just where is that thing that you're looking for? Why wouldn't it be that way with acupuncture points?
0: Yeah, and Of course it would. Some of my teachers in China would say that as a disease process is active in the body.
1: It'll change it, won't it?
0: It will change the location of the points. of course.
1: That makes perfect sense, doesn't it? Of
0: course, to me, I mean, and so this is the way I've developed my practice, Mm -hmm. is to go to these areas where I'm constantly palpating pulse and channels, and then I'm also feeling the field of the individual. So that I get a sense just by sitting with them What's going on?
1: Okay, so this touches a little bit into what we were talking about earlier with non-rationality. Sure. Okay In our schooling It's a very rational process. The test is a very rational process. Most of us are looking to have some really good rational reasons for why we're doing what we're doing, why we're treating the patients the way that we are and being able to have great rational explanations to tell our patients about what we're doing cuz this is medicine equals rationality in you know in, in our western in thought in
0: western society rationality and medicine are
1: you yeah, know they're off.
0: they're tied together yes the problem and, is but of
1: course the best doctors Don't rely just on that, Exactly. regardless of what kind of medicine you practice. So with that in mind, how do we cultivate that non-rational part of ourselves without like going off some weird ass deep end?
0: I really think you need to cultivate because it is through the process of cultivation which enables your whole system and the channels in your system to clear the crud out. Mm. And as the crud gets cleared out of your system, then higher levels of channels, whatever you want to call it, become more open, which allows you to access more information. When you are doing certain practices of qigong or tai chi or something like that, after a point, you can actually begin to feel a higher level of qi moving through the channels of your body. And when it first happened to me it feels like this warm breeze along the channels of your body and so it doesn't happen if you stay in your rational brain because the rational brain acts as a a stop sign a period because the rational brain says this is this and therefore it is not that Mm -hmm. and so it leaves you in a position of always having a full teacup so that you are never in the position of leaving an open space for something to enter into which is not of you. Does does that make sense to you?
1: As we're having the conversation, it does. There's a, and I talked about this earlier, that sometimes the way it works for me in clinic, something gets said. It could be me. It could be the patient. It doesn't matter who says it. But there's that moment where something is said by somebody, and it strikes a certain resonance, and I go, there is something here. For this patient, there is something here because it resonates in something in me, and there's probably also something for me in it. Now it gets a little bit dicey because I'm here to help my patient. I'm not here to, like, work on me, and yet at the same time, there's this interaction going on. There that,
0: has to be an interaction. I yes. mean, if you look, the Taiji symbol is constantly moving and that edge mm-hmm. is constantly interacting. And you want that. You need it. Otherwise, you're not going to be able to function in the clinic.
1: Would it be maybe better to draw the Taiji instead of with that like line between like black and white that it's actually more of this like threaded, fractally, in-between kind of thing? It's not really solid, is it?
0: Well, it's... Solid is a little bit of an illusion, but what is probably even more damaging is that it's a static two-dimensional representation of something which is never...
1: Static in two dimensions?
0: Never static in two-dimensional. So what
1: does it actually look like?
0: I don't know. Can you make a 3D integrative marble where this all swirls together in these crazy patterns? I, you know, I mean, I've thought about it before, but... You know, the, the Taiji symbol first appeared, I believe, in the Ming Dynasty. It was not, like, it's fairly recent. That's fairly recent. Really? Yeah. It appeared in
1: the Ming Dynasty? The,
0: the one that we have, the double fish with the black and the white eye. Mm-hmm. Uh, earlier representations did not have it. earlier representations uh, were more like swirls. So, it, you know, the the black and the white kind of swirled a little more through each other and they didn't have the eyes and these are concepts that you know they know that go at least as far back as Egypt there's um, who's that very famous queen Cleopatra um, there's a box or a bracelet or something from her that has um, the worm Ouroboros but it's done in black and white. The worm Ouroboros is the snake that's eating its tail. Mm -hmm. So the more it eats its tail, the bigger the head gets and the smaller the tail gets. But this one is black and white. And so Uh you have this kind of thing. You have that concept right there. Like, that goes back just millennia. And it extends into cultures that are not what we normally understand as Chinese medicine. As an aside, I think there was a lot more interaction between ancient cultures than we give credit. And so, you know, when you see Mayan stuff, there's a lot of stuff that's really reminiscent of Chinese medicine, you know. And so where did that come from? And did they discover it independently or was it brought over with whomever? You know, and so there's all these things about history that we have no way of knowing. It's pure speculation. And yet there's these crossovers that are there if you look for them.
1: Well, could it also be that regardless of your time or place or culture or language, there's some basic ways that this universe that we find ourselves in works?
0: Absolutely.
1: Basic set of principles. And and whether you're going to call it this or that, Mm -hmm. it whether you're Mayan or Chinese or Egyptian, you're going to come up with similar things because we're all looking at the same phenomena through basically the same sensorium.
0: And I'm saying that's a distinct possibility that people then look at phenomena and then somehow organize according to very similar patterns. They may call it, or very similar theories, they may call it something different, mm-hmm. but the fundamental ideas are there. But I still believe there was a lot more interaction than we're giving the ancients credit for. And
1: part what, of the... Just because re- they didn't have the internet? Yeah. Maybe they did have an internet. You know what? Maybe they had the sub-ethernet.
0: Who knows? Who knows? You know, I mean, I certainly haven't gotten to the level where I'm out there communicating with the spirits or flying out of my body and then visiting my Uncle Joe and wherever he is. You know, I,
2: it's,
0: I mean, there's lots of things that we just don't know and perhaps cannot ever know. But one of the reasons I think that there was a lot more interaction do you know what the flower of life is? It's a it's a it's a sacred geometry symbol and it's a series of, of circles that just build out and out and out in make this very sacred symbol. Well you can find the flower of life in Egypt and you can find it in China. And it's not something that would just appear. Mm-hmm. So you can find it in a lot of places over the world. So I just really think that there was a lot more going on. but
1: Yeah. Let's bring it back to the clinic for a moment. And, and I want to come back to the... Uh to the piece about cultivation and the non-linear. You know, we, we have this term cultivation and, I, and we throw it around a lot. Like we know what we're talking about. Oh, some Qigong or some Tai Chi. When you think about cultivation, what do you think about? What, what, what's some of the essence of what a cultivative practice is?
0: Because I do Chinese medicine, because I spent so many years doing Tai Chi, I believe that things like Tai Chi and Chinese Qigong are slightly better for activating and understanding the Chinese medicine understanding of the qi anatomy of the body. People can do yoga. You can get to very high levels in yoga. I've seen people, high level yoga practitioners actually open what in Chinese medicine we call a microcosmic orbit, like literally open it and For that, there's actually two levels that you need to know about. Uh, One is the later heaven, which is like this little tickle when you kind of use your mind. Oh, yes, I can feel the chi flow up my spine and down my front, and it just tickles a little bit. Sorry. (laughs) Uh,
1: And what's the other one?
0: The other one is when you actually open up your earlier heaven one. And the earlier heaven microcosmic orbit is the microcosmic orbit which sustained you as a fetus. And it is this powerful flow up the spine, connecting at the back of the throat.
1: Right where the hyoid bone is?
0: Right in the throat. And that goes down. And that is the generator for the formation of the fetus. That's the energetic generator. And you can reopen that. It takes a, it takes a lot to be able to do it. And then it feels like this powerful river and it really does help to reset the body
1: so this is the difference between like telling a ghost story and getting kind of uh you know like oh i'm a little bit scared around the campfire and like being like walking around the woods at night and you hear something and your whole body goes what was that
0: a lot like that and you know the reason i bring up the microcosmic orbit is that we talk about it but The separation of earlier heaven and later heaven is actually completely dependent on the microcosmic orbit.
1: Tell me more about that.
0: So when you are in utero, the microcosmic, the earlier heaven version of the microcosmic orbit is circulating. When you are born, what happens is that now you know, are no longer in this environment where everything is provided for you and now you need to make the first step.
1: You gotta go to work.
0: Into <laughs> being an independent entity, yeah, correct? yeah. And that first step is when you open the back of your throat where the microcosmic orbit ends connect and take your first cry. Because all of a sudden, you then have completely reset your physiology so that now you need to use your, lung, your own lungs mm-hmm. to breathe and get oxygen. You need to now ingest food from outside yourself and move it through your digestive system. And that's why when they show the images of earlier heaven Bagua organization and later heaven Bagua organization, they're completely reorganized.
1: Okay. I was talking to someone recently about some stems and branches stuff. Okay. And one of the things that she said happens at the moment of birth. As a fetus, I don't know fetal anatomy, so I'm just going on what I was told. I want to run this by you. As a fetus, your heart doesn't have like the right, left sides because you don't need to have an oxygenated and deoxygenated side because you're getting all your oxygen from your mother. But at birth, the septum of the heart closes. Now you've got Sovereign fire and ministerial fire.
0: hmm And that's perfectly plausible. And it doesn't contradict anything I say.
1: hmm So that fits.
0: It could fit, yeah. Okay. It could fit. Okay. Yeah. yeah. But I'm just saying in the Taoist tradition, which I've studied a lot of, mm. turns out I have a PhD in Taoist philosophy.
1: You have a PhD in Taoist philosophy?
0: Yeah. So and when I thought you had a PhD in counseling psychology. No, I have a bachelor's. Oh, a
1: bachelor's. We were, talk, we were talking about this earlier, you know, about how you got to Chinese medicine. You said you used to study psychology. And I'm like, psychology have, to Chinese medicine? How does that work? All right. I'm over. I'm overeducated, okay? <laughs> is it, is I, it
0: possible to be overeducated? Um, I don't think so. But, you know, I've spent a lot of time in educational
1: situations. Did you, were you able to learn something there? Oh, yeah. So then it was worthwhile.
0: Oh, absolutely. Because I think you know, there's a
1: big difference between education and learning.
0: Yeah, I mean, I have a degree in psychology. I have a bachelor's in Chinese medicine from the Beijing University of Chinese Medicine. I have a PhD from the Chinese Academy of Social Sciences, which is, it's the Chinese think tank. I was one of the first foreigners ever accepted into the school. What year was that? That was in 90, that was in 99,
1: So, and then... How did you get into... How did that happen? (laughs) Well, of course, I had friends
0: in China, and I had been doing some translation for a friend of mine who held this Qigong conference, and that kind of stuff is tricky to translate from Chinese into English, Mm -hmm. and so I was doing that kind of work for a friend of mine, and he knew this teacher at the Chinese Academy of Social Sciences who was looking to train a foreigner in uh, the theories of inner alchemy and particularly inner alchemy for women. In
1: 1999? Yes. This is in Beijing?
0: Yes. Wow. And it was just completely out of the blue. Yeah. And so... Apparently out of the blue. (laughs) Well, and it's an even longer story because by my third year at Beijing University of Traditional Chinese Medicine, I was so pissed off at the education because it was biomed light and it wasn't really what i wanted i really wanted to get into the nitty-gritty of chinese medicine Mm -hmm. or what i thought was chinese medicine and so kind of hard
1: to find sometimes in china
0: it's at that time it was really hard to find because everybody was teaching tcm Mm -hmm. everybody and so by my third year i was pissed you can see i make a lot of decisions when i get pissed
1: (laughs) (laughs) you know i think you're not alone in that (laughs) That's so, like a lot of us do. my
0: friend came to me and said that this particular teacher was looking to train foreigners in the theories of inner alchemy. And for me, he would train me in the theories of inner alchemy for women. So in 97, I actually took the test to get into the Chinese Academy of Social Science. And lo and behold, I passed.
1: Kong Good for Thank you. you. Thank Great. you. Wow. Yeah, well, You, you yeah. sound surprised.
0: Um, uh, you know, it was a formality, and if I'd have been a Chinese person, I'm pretty sure I would not have gotten it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> but, it, you know, the professor had an agenda, and that's fine, and it worked really well in my favor. I am eternally grateful to him. But I had been on scholarship at the Beijing University of Chinese Medicine, Canada-China Exchange Scholarship,
1: you know, I've noticed that Canada and China have a pretty good relationship. There's some, there's some pretty good yeah. connections that come yeah. because of that.
0: And I wasn't able to flip my scholarship to the Chinese Academy of Social Sciences. So I decided, thank God, to finish out my Chinese medicine degree. So I got my Chinese medicine degree and then two years later in 99, when I graduated from the Chinese medicine school, I went to the Chinese Academy of Social Sciences, eventually getting uh, this PhD and I was able to do that. In Dallas Studies. In Dallas Studies. For women. For women. And then um, I met, um, I don't know if you know who Professor Deng Tia Tao is. Name again? Deng Tietao.
1: Deng Tietao, I don't know.
0: Yeah, anyways, um, he's one of the top, was, he recently passed this year. He was one of the top 10 Chinese medicine doctors in China. And he saw me give a talk at this lecture, at this uh, symposium. And he liked what I said so much, he invited me down to the Guangzhou University of Chinese Medicine Mm. to work with him as his disciple and get a postdoc in Chinese medicine.
1: Wow, you've had some good luck in China.
0: It, will, it It was an amazing trip. It you sounds know? like it. And just things would just like fall like ripe fruit from the sky in some ways.
1: Well, have you noticed, and I suspect all y'all is out there listening as well, that there are times when things are sort of right. I mean, the Chinese have a great word for this, right? You're in fun. Yeah. Right? Where it's like there's a certain ripeness and a certain opportunity. You're welcome not to take it but you're also very welcome to take it. It often gets translated as fate, but it's, you know, fate has this sense of like, oh, you're like doomed to something. This this to me seems more like ripeness meets opportunity meets willingness.
0: Well, the characters themselves, you know, Yuan has that silk radical on the side and it kind of means to come together. Mm. And the word fun Means to have an allotment of something, right, like an amount. And so there's a saying in Chinese, yo yuan, mei fun. And so, so that you have the opportunity to come together, but you don't have enough allotment to stay together. Right. You can't
1: quite, you know, there's not enough of it to, so to, you might, to grasp and do So you
0: might meet somebody, but then never have the opportunity to study with them or to, you know, develop some deeper relationship with them. So apparently when I was in China, I had both.
1: Yes, yes. Well, I I think in all of our lives, we have both. Yeah. And if we're somehow awake to those opportunities, which often sometimes look like disasters at the moment that they're happening, Mm -hmm. then, then things can really take us on a whole different trajectory in our lives.
0: Oh, sure. And that's completely true about me and Chinese medicine, because once I made the decision to study Chinese medicine, for whatever reason.
1: I was, I was gonna ask you that. What made you decide I'm gonna I do I
0: decided this? that I needed to go to the source, that I needed to literally learn Chinese and go to China and study.
1: What set you off on that? Was there like a moment in time where you're like, I have to do this? I mean.
0: Well, you- it was, you know, for me, it was a question of do I wanna go the academic route and do medical anthropology with a focus on Chinese medicine, or do I wanna go and be practical? And I took a few courses in medical anthropology, and they were great. But I recognize in myself that I don't want to be that kind of scholar. I really want to get my hands on things. I want to do things that I consider really, really practical and to be able to work with people. Whereas if I had become a medical anthropologist, it would have been different, and I would not have been able to more fully develop the things that eventually I've been able to pull out of myself and to learn to allow things to flow through me in this really interesting way. I mean, when I left Canada to go to China, it was on a scholarship to do Chinese for six weeks. And then they took us for a two week tour around the country. This was in the, the late 80s and then I, um, literally, I went straight from mainland China to Taiwan, and I lived in Taiwan. Uh, first year I was in Taiwan, I studied Chinese full-time and then taught part-time, because mm-hmm. I mean, I'm supporting myself through all of this. Mm-hmm. And then I moved to Taichung, and I was in Taichung for three years, and I had a full-time job teaching English at Donghai University uh, and studied Chinese part-time, which was great because it meant that I could pay for my whole first year in China without needing recourse to finding money from somewhere else. But the whole time I was there, it was always either full-time work, part-time study, or full-time study, part-time work.
1: Two basic misconceptions stand in the way of people feeling comfortable using Chinese herbal medicine, even as they were feeling more positive about acupuncture. They are concerned about safety as herbal medicine is an unregulated industry and feel herbs are not effective to treat most conditions. Blue Poppy is committed to meeting all FDA safety regulations. All of their herbal products contain minimal or no filler to maximize potency and efficiency. Their granules are carefully manufactured in GMP certified facilities and every batch is tested multiple times for pesticides, heavy metals, and microbial content at the manufacturer and by SGS Laboratory, a Swiss certification and inspection company. For over 20 years, Blue Poppy has made quality and safety manufacturing standards their biggest priority, resulting in exceptionally effective, To do these things, you know, and...
0: It was really hard. It
1: is. It can, yes, it, it can be really hard. But... Would, would you say there was a value to the difficulty?
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, I have a quirky personality, and if I decide I want something, I just don't give up.
1: So you're persistent.
0: Oh. If if I decide I want it, I'm
1: very persistent. Mm-hmm.
0: If I'm not wedded to the idea of having it,
1: meh. Yeah. Right, but but if you decide you want it, it, you're kind of unstoppable.
0: Ultimately, what that meant was I spent over 20 years in China and Taiwan, you know, and I spent a lot of time looking outside the schools and finding people outside the schools who had these more, what I would consider traditional ways Mm -hmm. of utilizing and doing Chinese medicine.
1: It's hard to find them in the schools.
0: Well, you can't find them in the schools. There's a rift between academic Chinese medicine and folk Chinese medicine. And, you know, you need the academic in order to get your degree. But I found the folk traditions much more interesting. The problem with the folk traditions is that they tend to, to be much more narrow in their focus. Mm-hmm. You They're have like people
1: really good at a certain thing. Super re- good.
0: Really good at one or just mm-hmm. a few things,
1: mm-hmm.
0: but less so on the bigger picture.
1: Yeah. After all that time in Asia, why did you come back to the West?
0: Um, I was tired, Mm. you know, and Asia was a very lonely place for me. Mm. You know, I mean, I was there, I was focused on my studies, but, and I had friends, but I didn't have a partner Mm -hmm. and I just didn't see myself getting a partner in China. And so I wanted to come back where I had friends, like my family and my friends. And so I decided it was time for me to come back. And so I did. And I would originally planned on going back to Canada. And before I even left China, I had been put in communication with N.U.M. And basically, by the time I got back to Canada, I had a job at the school in here in Portland yeah and then visa issues intervened and I didn't actually start until January of 2011
1: I see I want to circle back to something that you said earlier in the conversation all right this is slightly slight slight pivot here you use the term chi anatomy
3: mm-hmm. tell me
1: more about that what's that mean how's chi anatomy different than like regular anatomy
0: regular anatomy When I speak of regular anatomy, basically what I'm talking about is the dense material aspects of the body. Mm -hmm. You know, all of those things that we think our body, like the muscles and the bones and the... Okay? But that's really only a dense vessel or vehicle. And it's never going to work unless you have this animating vitalism running through your system. And in Chinese medicine, that is in part what qi is and so the qi anatomy which has different structures and different rules even though it's embedded within the material anatomy of the body is what chinese medicine is based on and it's one of the things that i despair about a little bit because with the advent of tcm we're turning a chi-based anatomy medicine into a material-based anatomy medicine.
1: And so we lose that other piece.
0: Sure, because we're not talking about transformations anymore. We talk about, or if we do talk about transformations, it's lip service.
1: Well, I find that that, that whole word of transformation, like chi transformation, or we're, you know we're transforming fluids, or we're transforming this, or transforming that, I find it very confusing transforming it from what into what I mean it, 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 it just seems that we've got a lot of words here in our Chinese medicine that they it's like we mouth them but I don't feel like we understand it it's that's what I mean
0: when I say we pay lip service to it mm-hmm. there's a lack of understanding there
3: mm-hmm. and
0: if you look at a chi-based anatomy and if you take it up a little bit to a more to a little bit more abstract level mm. and you start talking about say the five phases that's all about transformation and it's what is it transforming it's transforming qualities of the chi the vitality in your body into an interlocking engine which then generates and sustains your vitality and if any one of those qualities of chi in the body is not what it should be
1: the whole thing breaks down
0: or is not being transformed from other qualities Mm -hmm. the entire system breaks down and so there are two things when you are treating somebody you need to have open unimpeded flow and you need to have that because that is what supports the transformation and that's the only thing you need in Chinese medicine everything else is just tools to figure out how to get back to that state
1: so in a sense getting back to our original state
0: Well, partly, but when I'm working in clinic, I recognize that I work on at least four levels. There's the dense physical level with the the anatomy that is so valued by Western medicine. There is the chi-based anatomy. There is a psycho-emotional anatomy, and there's a spiritual anatomy. The chi-based anatomy has the ability to directly influence the densest aspect of our body. Mm -hmm. It has the ability to directly influence and be influenced by the psycho-emotional anatomy. It is not those things, but it, it does have that influence. And it also can affect the spiritual anatomy. But spiritual anatomy is not really part and parcel of the direct use of Chinese medicine to heal disease, but it is part of the whole anatomical picture of the human being. Now other people may come up with different systems of division, but I make these divisions because they are different densities. You go from the very densest physical anatomy to this almost, you know, it's, it's more rarefied, but it's not quite as rarefied as the spiritual emotion or the psycho-emotional. And the spiritual is even more so. And when you read esoteric Taoist texts, they actually have words to describe the vitality or the qi that operates on each of three of the levels. And so they talk about qi, which has the vapor, radi- the vapor um, radical mm-hmm. with rice
1: in it. Right. The The classic character that we associate with Qi.
0: Yes, but in most Taoist texts, they don't use that character so much. What do they use? They talk about another character, which for foreigners, you know, those who don't really speak Chinese, is also pronounced Qi, four-tone. And this one is the character... it's written different. It's written very different. It's written with the character for not over fire.
1: Not over fire? Like, yeah... Not like, like... As in N-O-T.
0: N-O-T. And so I... Over fire. Over fire, yeah. And so I kind of think about it as this... And this is this one is related to earlier heaven chi. This is pre-heaven. This is pre-heaven chi. And so it's coming...
1: It's much less formed.
0: It's much less formed, but if you get into the esoteric Taoist practices, that's what they're working with.
1: So we're working with a kind of fire it's the fire that's not a fire of the fire
0: you can interpret it in many ways that's just the structure of the character you know and I mean I kind of think about it as the 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 fire which comes from the void
2: mm-hmm. and
0: in esoteric medicine there are signs that you've activated it and when you do Taoist practice, you work a very long time on what they call the foundation, which basically is just whipping your body back into good physical health. And once your body. So your channels
1: can be open and clear, and now you're receptive to these other influences.
0: Well, and then you, what happens is that something flips, and all of a sudden you reactivate earlier heaven processes in the body. Earlier heaven processes continue to happen in the body even after you have this later heaven body, but they happen when you're unconscious. They happen often when you're asleep, that kind of stuff. But within the Taoist tradition, you reactivate the earlier heaven processes in the body. And then what happens is you continue your cultivation until eventually you get to the cultivation of actual spirit and the cultivation of actual spirit the qi which is also pronounced fourth tone qi but written differently but written differently there are 3 different characters this one has the sign for vapor and inside it has fire and oh, is wow. and is this character which is responsible for your ability to sense beyond the senses and to manifest all of those things that we call supernatural.
1: Mm-hmm. So in the class we had over this past weekend, yes, Toby was talking about his teacher, mm-hmm. who was a very cultivated Korean Buddhist monk. Sure. And, and, and it, was, it was funny because he talked about how his, he showed us how his teacher would take pulses and he'd like put his hands on a person's wrist on the opposite side of the pulse. Because he wasn't taking pulses, and he didn't look at tongues.
0: No, it was a show to gain the trust of the people he was going to treat. Exactly,
1: because they expected that from someone who's going to do, air quotes here, medicine. But this is a person who had these pathways open. He could just see, oh, this is what they need. Well,
0: basically, you know, what happens is that when you get to certain levels, you use your own field as part of the diagnostics. You have to be really careful with that because if it's handled incorrectly it can be very draining mm-hmm. you know C- and you could, need... could we
1: also if we're using our own field just be projecting our own stuff on our patients that's why you well? need to
0: cultivate because you yeah. need to clean that stuff out
1: right or or likewise something that might be very influential for a patient kind of running their life in a way it kind of gets stuck inside of us
0: Sometimes and so, you know, there's various ways of addressing that Mm -hmm. if you're looking at introduction to clinic and new students and they don't have the cultivation or the mind power in order to be able to fully protect themselves in clinic then you go mechanical and so by that I mean things like Take an Apache tear which is black like a small piece of black obsidian and tape it in your belly button when you are in clinic. Because that prevents the taking away from you and the absorption of vital energies. And it's black, and so it works more on that negative stuff. And don't take my word for it. Experiment. Yeah. Chinese medicine is all about experimentation. It's all about
1: experimentation. I tell this to my patients all the time. I'm not telling you that you should eat X, Y, Z. I'm just saying, you might want to experiment for a month. Let's just make this scientific. People love scientific, right? Sure. Let's just do a scientific experiment. Do this for a month. See how you feel. Well, and the thing that is
0: kind of funny is people think that if they take the words of experts as truth, that it's somehow theirs. The problem is, is that if you're taking somebody else's word without actually trying yourself or somehow figuring out if it's true for you, or even in the greater sense, then it's never, ever going to be yours, and you'll always be under the power of the expert.
1: When you're under the power of the expert, you're right. It it, it never becomes true to yours. I have found over the years, and I'm grateful for the education that I've had, and I'm grateful for the teachers I've had, I feel like they gave me a scaffolding like to build a building, but at a certain point, that structure of that building has to be stable enough that you can take the scaffolding down.
0: When you study esoteric practices, you know, you have your teacher, your guru, your sensei, whoever, this person with experience, person who has gone through all of this, but so much of it. It goes beyond one's ability to talk about it. And so they tell you things or they teach you ways of doing something that has the potential to bring you to your own insight into something. But if you think that you understand what they're saying to you without actually doing the practices, then you're going to get completely lost because the words that are chosen to instruct you in something are fingers pointing at the moon and by constantly focusing on those fingers you completely miss that they're talking about the moon and that's what you see when people always take the words of experts but it is a necessary step because you need somebody to say look look over here and as you begin to see flashes of the moon in your experience, all of a sudden this stuff begins to make sense. When you paint a night painting in the West, you take your canvas, black, dark gray, splash, 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 splash. Then you take white or yellow paint and you put on the the moon and the stars. And so you're putting presence on top of presence. So something's already there. In Chinese understandings of things, if we use the way they paint with rice paper, if you go splash, 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 splash with white paper on, you know, black ink on white paper, you just have a black piece of paper. And so what you need to do is you need to create spaces which by their relationship with the black surrounding them, tell you that what you're looking at is the moon or the stars. And so in Chinese ways of thinking, they dance around things and talk about things 10 different ways because they're trying to point at this empty space between the words so that you can get a sense of what they're really talking about because it's not the words. And that's why experience is so important when you're in clinic because you begin to learn to separate from the words that you thought you understood and get the experience that they were actually pointing to.
1: That is a darn good reason to really get a lot of clinical experience. Yeah, I mean that's where Chinese medicine lives. And to embrace all that stuff that we don't understand. Mm -hmm. Because that's where the learning really comes in, is in those moments when we don't understand. This, I know for myself, it makes me uncomfortable. I think as a human being, it would make anyone uncomfortable when we come up to the edge of what we think we know, or we're here to try to help our patients, and we recognize, oh, damn it, I am failing in this right now. It's a wonderful opportunity, generally speaking. How do you sort of keep mind and heart together in those moments where you go, this stuff isn't working, now what do I do? Because, as Toby pointed out in class the other day, feel uncomfortable? Get ready to learn. How do you stay present with all that when you come up against it in your own clinical work?
0: I have a lot of different tools. Um, You know, I got into sound resonance. I got into gemstone therapies. And at the end of the day, you just have to keep going back to stuff that you thought you knew. And going back, like, I like to read the classics. Mm -hmm. And, you know, every time you read the classics, and this is a truism of Chinese, every time you read uh, something in Chinese, it's different. Mm -hmm. Because the structure of the Chinese language is that it not only allows for... But there's no way of separating yourself from what you're reading. And so every time you come back to something you've read in classical Chinese, it's different because you're different. And so it gives you that, that, that interaction between that space created by the Chinese characters and you, at that moment... Creates the possibility of this interesting interaction, which then has the possibility of creating these really interesting insights. And you can read the same thing a hundred times, and every time you go back to it, it can be different. It's different,
1: yeah. You know, I get that with the Chinese. I I, I read it a little bit but enough that sometimes when I'm reading and following in Chinese, there's all kinds of things that happen sort of inside my own understanding. Uh, Partly because it's a different language, partly because I I think there's a left brain, right brain integration that happens with Chinese that allows other things to spark. You know, it looks like you're disagreeing.
0: Well, there is a left right brain integration but that's not the effect. Mm. The effect is the gestalt. Mm-hmm. of the left-right brain interaction, which is bigger than both.
1: So then that would be, I would suspect, with any language, if it's if it's a real kind of classic that holds all these fingers pointing toward a moon, as we grow and we come back to that piece of writing, that writing will interact with us differently.
0: I really think so. Yeah. But I find, for me, Chinese is particularly able to bring this effect. So when I read Chinese I f- my brain I feel turns three-dimensional mm-hmm. and there is a depth That is present there that I do not get when I read a phonetic language English I also don't get that sense of three-dimensionality when I read simplified characters
1: yeah, um yeah. I don't even want to go into okay. that because anyways uh the amount of densely compact meaning in the traditional characters versus simplified is Yeah. We we will phenomenal. not be
0: talking about that today
1: because that's a whole
0: lecture in and of itself. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Well this this kind of circles back on something that we'd been talking about, I think, before we turned the microphones on about how uh, with our particular Western way of looking at things, we, we think we can observe something without affecting it. And yet the hardest of the sciences, Western physics, over a hundred years ago began to notice you can't look at something, you can't observe it without changing it. That we cannot stand outside of our experience we're always within our experience and, and it's it's something about that gestalt it's the gestalt it's also that
0: liminal experience where you are interacting with other and that interaction is a whole new something mm-hmm. if you allow it to be
1: Yeah, which again is another whole conversation and and I'd love to invite you back for another one at some point in the very near future. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for taking this time today. You're welcome. Thanks as always for listening. If you liked this conversation, if you learned something new or found a moment of inspired insight, share the episode with your friends. If you want to support Geological,